Monica Abbott here, back in Kansas City to host my first annual scholarship golf tournament presented by Shields, Monday, May 6th at Lakewood Oaks Country Club in Lee Summit. All proceeds go toward awarding two scholarships to well-deserving female athletes in the Kansas City area. Sign up at MonicaAbbott.com. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, I teased this yesterday, and I wanted to make sure Jake and I could go back and forth on it because it is a little bit of the talking point of college sports today. And yesterday and the day before that, for that matter. Uh, It all started with the Wake Forest and Duke game and the court storming incident that resulted in a fan and Kyle Filipowski kind of getting tangled up. And then Filipowski hurt his knee or his ankle, one or the other, limped off the floor as fans are just flowing into the court. And then we sparked this debate. We sparked this debate. Because I wouldn't say it's been an issue, but I think when you look at court storming as a whole or field storming, you know, for the students, for the fans, it's fun. You know, it's a great opportunity to rush onto the floor where you can't go during the game, of course, and celebrate with the players you just rooted for, wearing the jerseys for. It's just this memorable experience. But for coaches and players, I don't think they like it, especially if you're on the losing side of it. You know, you're having to rush your players off the court. I mean, obviously you're already upset about the loss. And now you got to worry about the safety of your players. But this has sparked controversy because I, I think there is no middle ground here. There is either one side of the spectrum or the other. One side of the spectrum involves the coaches and the players, and more specifically Duke here, of they want it banned. Now, even Jay Billis uh, went on ESPN – couple days back I want to say it was like the Scott Van Pelt show and it was about how you can stop it and he said well you should just threaten all the students or everybody that rushes the the floor with being detained which everybody knows you can't detain 15,000 people all at once but it's like the threat of it hey if I go on the floor I could be charged with something I don't think it's that severe we've been court storming forever and very few times have players players gotten hurt the other end of the spectrum is get your players off the floor now we're going to storm the court you know it's going to happen and you know Kyle Filipowski was taking his sweet ass time getting off the court it's not like he was all of a sudden shocked that the fans were rushing the floor everybody knew if Wake Forest won that game fans were going to rush the floor I think it does add an element of excitement to it. I mean, here locally, we all know about court stormings. It happens all the time when KU loses. You know, whether it be in Manhattan, years ago when it was in Columbia, court storming happened. Now, to the team that just lost, it's like a an extra kick to the nuts. It's the salt in the wound. It's like, not only did I just see my team lose, now I have to see pandemonium that you know is going to be on SportsCenter everywhere. It's going to be the top story. Your team loses, therefore, here comes this, this court storm. And you know what? For the football side of things, you know, whenever KU gets around to beating K State, snapping the long losing streak, you bet your ass that KU fans will rush the field. It's just pouring salt in the wound. But it's also fun for college sports. There's memories to it. It's like a giant concert, and you have people crowd surfing and standing up on tables, and very few times have things escalated to a player being harmed. For the most part, the players are off the floor. It's not really an issue. And I don't think we need to have too much of a conversation. But because this incident happened, it's one of those those boundaries that if you are going to have the freedom of storming the court, like that can't happen. Like you can't storm the court and injure a player. You can't come in contact with a player. Now, from the bird's eye angle that we saw, this fan, as one probably would think, 
was going on the floor, and when he had the chance, he was going to taunt Kyle Filipowski in passing. But since there were so many people rushing the floor, it kind of had this collision where Filipowski wasn't looking, and he saw somebody right near him and kind of had these extended shove, extended both of his arms, and the guy trips, tangles up his knee or his ankle with Filipowski, and then Filipowski limps off the court. And that sent uh, the Duke players and the coaching staff into a frenzy because that's their star player. And he gets banged up because of some college kid wanted to taunt him and then bang him up. See, the thing is, though, that fan, that student, as has been the case in hundreds of court storms, their intention is not to go hurt the player. I remember there was an incident 10 years ago in Manhattan where some K-State fan went and shoulder shimmied Jamari Trailer. Which is funny because Jamari Trailer might have been the baddest dude on that KU team. Now he had shown multiple times in games he wasn't afraid to, you know, jaw it up with some other players and guys that were bigger than him. But some random college dude and Jake, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he get banned from Bramwich Coliseum or at least a a, a marginal ban? It wasn't like yeah, a lifetime. Yeah, he, he definitely ban. was punished. He was punished in that, and that to me was. With intent, that student came onto the floor and and shoulder checked him, but it wasn't anything that Jamari Trailer hadn't seen in the game. Now you're not gonna have some five foot ten, a hundred and seventy pound white kid shoulder check a six foot eight, you know, two hundred and twenty pound college athlete and do that much damage. But it was the intent. It was showing then that these fans felt that when they were on the court, they were allowed to do whatever. Well, and also, I mean, you're trying to get a reaction. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. It, it was Nebraska, I believe, uh, a Nebraska football player uh, straight cold cocked a, a Missouri Yeah, I remember and, that. And knocked him out. And, you know, that's those are the things that, you know, and yeah, I remember this fall, um, Caleb Williams, someone's yeah. running up to Caleb Williams and snagging a selfie with him, and it's, you know, it's it's it certainly is an interesting conversation. It's it's there's we see some wild things happening. Oh yeah, I mean we have seen. Uh, I think it was was it Oregon? It was a Pac-12 game and and a uh, a player spit on, on a student, or might have been like a cheerleader. Now that I think about it, it was it was pretty vulgar. But see, that's. That's the trouble that we have with court storming or field storming is it kind of goes both ways. But everybody knows that the student-athletes are held to a much higher standard. They are the ones that have to walk off the floor and not do anything. But I don't think it needs to be that severe of a penalty. Uh, I actually saw, I think it was from Rob Doster, he had a an idea for court storming on you should, the game ends... The students are held off, and there's a timer put up on the clock, like 30 seconds. And that allows the students and the coaches to get to the locker room, hustle off, and then you can allow the students to go storm the court. Now, maybe it takes away the anticipation of, like, as the the horn sounds, the crowd just rushes onto the floor. But again, we all know this. There will be coaches and players that take their sweet-ass time, even if there was some clock up there. I mean, why do you think Kyle Filipowski was walking? You know, if they really were fearing for their safety, they would have ran off the floor. None of the players have ever been fearing for their safety because kind of like in the way, this is a weird analogy to use, but you know in uh, The Lion King, when Simba's down, like on that little rock, and the wildebeest are just running right around him, like that's what it looks like with the players. They're not caught in the, the crowd storm. They're not. Everybody parts ways because they know the penalty for that. They know they become a a public enemy number one, and they could face charges. You know that could be spun into something. Or, like the K-State fan, I'm already blanking on what his name was, you could get a ban from the stadium. You don't want that. You're a fan of the team. And also, uh, let's talk about college athletes here. Kyle Filipowski's seven foot. Do you think some little five foot ten college kid wants to get in a dust-up with Kyle Filipowski? Probably not. But see, I, I just don't think it's as big of an issue 
as we make it out to be. Like Kyle Filipowski, Duke's being very Duke about it, by the way. Nathan Power is Nathan Power, is, is that's young, right. Young gentleman's name. Not probably not very young anymore. No, he's probably in his thirties and fifteen. Yeah, I'm sure he's got a portrait on his wall of doing that because I'm sure he's very proud of it. Uh but Duke is being very Duke about this. Like kind of dragging it out a little bit. They're like, oh, Kyle Filipowski, he's a little bit sore. And it went from like a knee injury to an ankle injury back to a knee injury. And, you know, John Shire, head coach of Duke, of course, said that he's a little bit sore and he was icing it, but he didn't get any imaging done. So we really don't know if Kyle Filipowski's practicing or not. But to me, it's more so to kind of hammer in the point how much Duke hates court storming. And here's another point. I think Blue Bloods hate court storming. And this is coming from a KU guy. I mean, I think of the six losses that KU's had this year, five of them have all been court storms, and the only one that wasn't was Marquette. Or excuse me, K-State didn't storm the court because their their coaches told them stop. So is that four of the six? It would have No, actually three of the six. My numbers are all mixed up here. So half, West Virginia, UCF, and then did Tech storm the court? I don't really remember. So it might have only been two of the six. So a completely baseless stat I just tried to give you there. But Blue Bloods traditionally, let's go back to years before, last five, last ten, a lot of KU's losses, a lot of Duke's losses, North Carolina's, Kentucky's, they're going to be court storms because those teams, year in and year out, are top ten. And they're going to lose a handful of games. And they're going to lose to teams that are unranked or not ranked as high. And there's going to be a court storm. So Blue Bloods, I think every single Blue Blood coach would tell you, not really a fan of it. In fact, I think Bill Self said yesterday they need to get court storming in order. Because I I don't think they like it. It doesn't matter much to teams that are mid-major programs or teams that aren't ranked because they're not getting court stormed on. They're not the ones that lose and then have to dodge all the fans that are running onto the court. I just don't see a true issue with it. I really don't like, other than the the Nate Powers scene in Manhattan and then this Kyle Filipowski one, I can't tell you off the top of my head things got really bad for court storming. Like, yeah, there have been times a player's been bumped or shoved. Yeah, but it's from a guy that's much smaller than them. In football, in fact, I remember there was the KU-Oklahoma game. And it was one of the KU students was right in an Oklahoma player's face holding up the L sign. like, And he did it because he knew that player can't respond. And if he does, he's either kicked out of the school or he's suspended. That's, that's what I think is unfortunate for college athletes is they basically just have to take the brunt of this. They have to do that shame walk where everybody's pointing and yelling and screaming at them after they've just lost a game. Yeah, I mean, in 2004... Nebraska football player Kellen Houston was charged. He was charged. Yeah. Misdemeanor punching for punching a fan, disorderly conduct, misdemeanor. Yeah. Punching a fan who rushed the field. Now, I actually remember back then, like, that kid was just rushing the field. He wasn't even taunting. Yeah. Like, I think he thought it was somebody else and just cold cocked him and knocked him out, which, again, is another dangerous element because now he's on the ground and there's thousands of yeah. people. I mean, like, this it's is a 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. And that, I think, is maybe more so the dangerous part of it because we've seen incidents at, like, concerts and mosh pits and when people fall down. I mean, there's, yeah, there's deaths. It, de- deaths and suffocation and people break limbs. And we haven't seen too many of that in court storming. It's all because it's just, it's so rapid. It's literally like water breaking through a dam. It's like it just all of a sudden comes rushing toward you. And I think there's just simple ways to fix this without charging kids. Like, it's fun. It's college sports. A lot of those kids have been camping out. You know, they were camping out for a Wake Forest game. They were rowdy all game long. It's a memory they'll have forever. And I get it. Coaches and players, you can use the card of, well, my guy got hurt, and this all could have been avoided. But there also are a lot of you know smaller programs now that don't want a court storm. It's like, hey, that shows how inferior we were to this program. Like, for instance, the K-State game. Yeah, I mean, that's the bigger flex, honestly. Yeah, it's it, like, hey, don't storm yeah. the court. We feel like we're kind of yeah. equal with we this We should team. have done this. this yeah. is, we were expecting this win. But some programs are just going to continue to do it because it's fun. Right, it's like I remember to tie in the local aspect here. 
KU football used to storm with their 20,000 fans for FCS wins because they were snapping 10, 11, 12 game losing streaks. Like the way I look at it, it's college, it's fun. It's fun for the kids. If you don't injure somebody, which with Kyle Filipowski, yes, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that Kyle Filipowski got banged up a little bit. But if he plays the next game, you know, it's we move on from it. We already have moved on from it a little bit. But there are ways to fix this without (laughs) threatening college kids with being detained. And I love Jay Billis. I think Jay Billis... Is a great broadcaster, but that point is one I don't agree with. It's not that serious. If somebody would have ran onto the court and just taken out the legs of Kyle Filipowski, then I think that would have been an end-all, be-all. We are banning it for the rest of, right. of college I, sports. I think that's what they're trying to avoid. I yeah. mean, because that I mean, they think that's that's eventually because I mean, look, it happened when when Iowa lost the Iowa women's team and yeah, Caitlin, Caitlin Clark, Clark yeah, and, and like that it became a discussion point at that. You want to hear Jay Billis's comments that you're, yeah, you're talking well, let's about? Let's hear him. All right. It just didn't, you know, take uh, a genius to say that that something's going to happen, and when it does, let's not act surprised. This is not only foreseeable; it's inevitable. And we've had significant injuries over this in the past to, to fans, especially, and nothing really changes. And but the truth is, nothing's going to change now. We're going to talk about it, and it's going to go away, and nothing's going to change. And if they wanted to stop it, they could stop it tomorrow. I mean, yes. And he goes on to say, you stop it tomorrow by, you know. Detaining. Detaining. Him <laughs> Threatening to detain. Right. Um, no, I don't think it's that serious. I, I actually think, I, I want to say it was Rob Doster. I, I think there is a easy way to go about this. And, you know, I believe it was actually fascinating to hear Nicholas Timberlake the other day in KU's, uh, you know, pre-game press conference or pre-week press conference leading up to the games. Like, Nicholas Timberlake's like, I don't have an issue with it. He's like, we are told as players when we got here in games that we lose or if we lose that game against the team that's going to rush the court or the fans are going to rush the court, we know to get off. We know to get off, get safe, get in the locker room, and it's done. Right? There, There are ways to avoid it. And whereas, you know, Kyle Filipowski... Like, yeah, it was quick. That wasn't a buzzer beater. Like, there are opportunities to get off the floor. And Kyle Filipowski is slowly walking with his head down. And you've listened to this show long enough before. I don't like Duke. I I don't like Kyle Filipowski. And I do feel for the kid that gets banged up. That's, That's unfortunate that he plays an entire game and then some fan tries to taunt him and they get tangled up and he gets hurt. Do I think it was a little bit dramatized? You know, him spinning around and having to be helped off by two people. It probably hurt. He probably bumped knees is what I imagine happened. So that does hurt. If you've ever bumped knees before, yeah, it hurts like hell. But it wasn't a torn ACL. And I get that the coaches, the players are going to go, well, it shouldn't even be a problem. We shouldn't even have our players' safety in our minds when the game's over. We worry about our players' safety during the game. But there are fixes here where it's not that severe. You can let the kids storm the court, but you can find a way to get the players off quickly. Like maybe security should do a a situation where they're basically creating a funnel for the team to run through. Yeah, they should be escorted out. Escorted out. And if it's 30 seconds, it's 10. Hell, 10 seconds would work. You know, maybe it means you don't do the handshake line, but okay. Like... I just do not believe that with as many court storms as we see, right? We see it all the time. It happens upwards of, I would say, in some capacity. With how many games there are in college basketball? Like, we're getting close to 100, aren't we? There's a lot of games in there. May not, maybe more like Mississippi Valley State won their first game of the year the other day. They were 0-27. Technically, it was a court storm. There weren't many people there, but it was a court storm. That's what I'm saying. It might even be well over 100. And, like, there are two isolated incidents we can find. Caitlin Clark, Kyle Filipowski. And before that, I can't really remember a time in which a player got hurt or banged up. I get it that there are players that have gotten hurt before. or They have been in altercations with fans, and we don't want that. But... There are simple ways, I think, for the NCAA to handle this and it still be okay with everybody. 
Like I, I think college basketball is at a is at a point right now where it is popular, but there are a lot of aspects to the game that are not enjoyable whatsoever. Like I watched uh, K State in West Virginia the other night. Last night it was West Virginia was down twenty five points. Came back, forced overtime, and once again, K-State won in overtime. They're seventh this year, and I think they've won 12 straight in the Jerome Tang era in overtime. There was, I think, 51 or 61 free throws. Like, that aspect of the game sucks. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to turn away a lot of people that don't want to watch a free throw contest. So you need the exciting elements to the game. Big atmospheres, college game day raucous environments, chance. And and that's why I hate how we have this policing done in college sports. Like, people complain about the overrated chant. It's like, who cares? It's college kids. It's college kids that are saying a lot worse during the game, I can tell you that. And or any, any sort of, you know, chant that includes profanity. I love it. Bring it on. It makes it watchable. It, it gives you more juice going into the game. Like, I hated it. When K-State had to stop their FKU chant and they brought it back for this game in Manhattan a couple weeks ago, it makes the atmosphere better. Is it the best thing for kids to hear? No. But I also am under the impression, not under the impression, I am of the belief that young kids, like when you go to games, there might be some stuff that you hear. I went to Arrowhead when I was very young. I heard some pretty nasty things before. It's just something that... It's going to happen one way or another. It's unfortunate for a three- or four-year-old to hear it, but oftentimes I don't even know what's being said. Like, Jake, I know that you're very aware of the chant that KU does at kickoff, rip his effing head off. When I was growing up, when I was young, I couldn't really make out what they were saying. Like, it's not that crystal clear all the time. But to me, it's like with college sports, that's a part of college sports, right? Fans... Having these chants. Fans rushing the court. Now, at the end of the day, I'm all about player safety. But it doesn't need to be so severe where we're policing the game of no chance. No rushing of the court. We have to be so pristine and clean about how we handle ourselves in environments like that. Like, Wake Forest might be able to have an outside chance if they win out to get in the NCAA tournament. This might have been the highlight of their year. And I don't think we need to dwell on, well, injuring Kyle Filipowski should now lead to a rule change where we're going to detain college students for rushing onto the floor. Right? And as Jake and I just discussed, there are more and more programs that don't want their fans rushing the court because they don't want to be seen as inferior. Hey, we expect this. We expect to win. In fact, that's the level you want to get to. You don't want to be a court-rushing fan base. You want to be the one that goes, yeah, we beat you. We're all right with it. We expected to. Whether we weren't favored by Vegas or even if our fans didn't believe in us, we knew we were going to win. Like, that's what you hope to get to. But again, I, I like the idea of put 15 seconds on the clock. If anything, it builds up anticipation for the fans that are about to rush the court. It's like, game's over. Now it's 15 seconds. I can even count down. Before I get to rush the floor. You get the team off. You get the coaches off. Safely in the locker room. Boom. Go crazy. Go crazy. And you can run onto the court. Nobody's falling. Nobody's tripping over the wires and the cameras that are right below the goal. Like, there is an easy way to fix this, and it doesn't need to be so dire. Like, we don't need to act like this is 300 Spartans with shields and swords running onto the floor to cause harm to other players. As I said... They go around them. And there's a lot of scenarios where the players are already to the sideline and the handshake line where security's built a wall and they go straight to the locker room. Like, I go back to the point. Yes, players need to be protected. They need to have safety. But also, I've seen so many players this year in so many court storms, when it happens, when it's going to happen, they get off the floor. They just know it's a part of the game. It's what happens even if the, the PA announcer says, do not rush the court, they're going to rush the court. There are 10 security guards for thousands of people. They're getting through. Which is also why it's funny to me that security people even stand in front of the students. It ain't, they ain't stopping anybody. And they're also like volunteer security people. They're not these big burly... Uh, there are bouncers 
with better physique than the security people that are blocking the students from getting onto the floor. Like, college kids are going to do what they want to do in environments. Like, there's too many. So for the players, if you're really concerned about the safety, you're really concerned about getting hurt, your mind would tell you, I got to get off the floor. And I think... Well, Kyle Filipowski, yes, I'm sure he was gassed. I'm sure he was tired. And the last thing he wanted to do was hustle off the court, tail between his legs, take the whipping Wake Forest, gave him, and then get to the locker room. I'm sure mentally he was like, I'm going to slowly walk off the floor. I'm going to slowly walk off the floor with my head down. And he knew that crowd was coming. He wasn't even close to the sideline yet. And that's where I go, hey, I I get it. That fan probably crossed the line and trying to taunt him as he was passing, and he got what he deserved. He tripped and fell, and then he's on the ground. He fell hard. Like, he got what he deserved in that. But again, I think we are we are making this too big of a deal when there really can be a simpler fix other than just threatening jail time for college kids for being college kids. There are a lot worse things you can do as a college kid, then rush the court and celebrate with your, with your team. Like, Jake, how many court storms do you think you've seen? Just throw out an estimate that you've seen this year. Oh, this year? I mean... It, it can be a highlight. It can be... A, it doesn't need to be like you thing, were watching like, start to finish. Like, ESPN loves it. That's the, oh, yeah. that's the end of every highlight. If yep. there's an upset, what's the last thing you see when they're throwing up the font of the score? It's, you know, I, the NCAA... If they disliked it so much, they probably would have already done. Oh what yeah, about. they they like this. I mean, that's it's. I, I don't know. Look, there. It seems like to me, the older the person is talking about it, and the farther the way they are from college, the more they dislike it. Yeah. I mean, you listen to Kornheiser and Wilbon, <laughs> Jay Billis. You know, we had Mike DeCourcy on the the Border Patrol this morning. He's yeah. super anti. You know, and. and I don't know how I feel about it. It's uh, you, you, I don't know. You're you're robbing kids of some memories, I guess. I, I yeah. I don't know. There, I, I do think that there's probably a better way to go about it. I think you know the ACC doesn't have a fine for it. I know there are other conferences. There are that get very strict fines, heavy fines. So I mean, it it doesn't stop it from happening though. You know, and because yeah. I I think. There was an Arkansas game earlier this year, and they had they had ropes, and they had yeah. they had people like you I know, think it was Duke again as well. Yeah, <laughs> it was like yeah, it was it was the it, Duke game. They've it, got a good setup. There are ways to people still get on the court. They, they still get on the court, but it's like they have a setup to get them off the floor. It, like, is, it is just a part of sports. You think about like you know when Hank Aaron broke the home run record, people on the field, and when Reggie Jackson had you know became mm-hmm. Mr. October, he was pushing people out of his yeah. way to get the home plate. I mean, it's it's you know those are classic moments in in the history of mm-hmm. you know you don't see that <laughs> like the '70s were wild, man. You know people yeah. <laughs> people were running on the field and running around the bases with with guys. But I don't know I don't know what the answer is. The answer is you you know it's coming. You know, if if you have a team that's in the top five, top ten, big rival, mm-hmm. you know that if your team wins, there's probably going to be a, like so. Take the proper precautions, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, if you're a coach of one of these teams, I, I'm I'm sure Bill Self has had conversations with his team. Yeah. As you mentioned, Timberlake talking about it. Yeah. You know, it, it's like I think there can be things done on both sides. I it, think, and it, it doesn't need to be severe. Right. I mean, like, I, I don't think they're ever, like, I don't think there's, they're going to ever have, you know, the local authorities out of the game, you know, handcuffing kids, taking them away and patting You get wagons. one, they're all going to scatter. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I see both sides of it. I, I hate to be, you know, kind of wishy-washy about it, but it, it's like, I get it. Like, the last thing you want to see is, you know, uh, a person like Caitlin Clark get in, having her... Her college career ended by something like this, yep. and then you know her her promising yeah. WNBA career mm-hmm. stunted, and you know that like that would be tragic, you know those yeah. are, and I think that's what they're trying to avoid, like mm-hmm. something something absolutely tragic happening like that. Um, but I do think like there's there's look the world we live in is not black or white, like we yeah. live in a very gray world. 
So th- I think there's, I think there's something in the middle that can be done. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do the, your, you heavy fines. Okay, that's the price you pay. Yeah. You know, um, you know it. And look, you know it's going to happen. Have a, a a team of security guards walk around the team. Mm-hmm. You know, you, hey guys, make sure you stay. We're going to be around you. We're going to walk you off the court. Stay in the middle. And you know, I don't think anybody's if. Duke had a team of security guards around them last yep. night. I don't think any kids are going to try to bust no. through security guards to try to get to one of those no. players. They'll go around, as they've done many times. Absolutely. So I think there are precautions that can be taken. You know, I don't, I'm not well enough versed to know what, you know, what the security at, at college basketball games or mm-hmm. college football games or what the detail looks like. But I do think that they're probably, you probably can. The conversation could begin about that. Hey, we're gonna, you know, Kansas is coming in. You know, we, let's make sure we have. If if we end up upsetting them, let's make sure we have, you know, the proper authorities in place to to get them off the court safely. Yeah, you know, and let our and let our fans enjoy this win. You know, that's the price. I guess that's the price you you need to pay for it. Yeah, but see, uh, I guess my argument for people that are so hell bent on let's just get rid of it like for, for the the player safety part like are we too prideful or are we too against like just having players hustle off the court you know that, that's that's the hang up here it's like you can tell students hold off for 30 seconds or if you don't change it just say hey coaches remind your player this happens in sports this has been happening for years get off the floor yeah it, but it, it happens that like you mentioned earlier it happens at a loss right and so yeah it's like you're already you're going to be bitter about it and it's like hey this is where we work this is our you know this is our court right mm-hmm. and it's so it's like they're on our court the only people you know i heard shire's comments the only people that should be on the court are the officials the coaches mm-hmm. and the refs i mean the players right and so I, I i get that to some level but also it's like you know you this is college athletics, and, and hey, look, it is changing. The whole landscape is changing. It's mm-hmm. it's no longer amateur athletics, so it's like you do not see this at the NBA. Yeah, you do not see this in the NFL, right? And so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just ha- opening the discussion. Is this is becoming a form of professional sports? Mm-hmm. So I get it. I mean, I you do not see this at the highest levels. You yeah. do not see this. In like I mentioned, in football, in, in professional football or professional basketball, so I mean, so that's what they're trying to turn this into. I mean, you're taking the college atmosphere out of it. I mean, that's that's no question. If you tried to eliminate this, but I really just don't know how. I mean, I don't know how you get rid of it. Yeah. How are you going to tell a bunch of eighteen to twenty-two year olds what to do? They'll still, I mean, yeah, they'll still find a way to oh, do it. I it, remember. I mean, like it became a big deal and. and People were getting hurt with with tearing down the goalposts. Yeah. So they they created collapsible goalposts. That like as soon as yep. the, as soon as the game's over, goalpost is down. Yeah. Right. It's, it, and those are the memories, right? So that that's kind of the there's a couple different sectors to this, if you will. Like the court storming for the college students. Like you and I both fully remember, you know, with with KU going and tearing down the goalposts for a handful of games, not so much in the really bad years, but back in the mid-2000s, or beating K-State, you tear on the goalposts, you take it to Potter Lake. Hell, this year, beating Oklahoma, taking it in a, a rainstorm to Potter Lake. Like That's a good memory that everybody should be able to enjoy. Yeah, as long a, as it's it safe. is a tradition. It's a tradition, and for you know, court storming, you get to have a distinct memory of, I watched the Wake Forest-Duke game, I got on the floor. Now, I'm also not saying, hey, free will rush the court, hurt somebody. No. And most, I would say the majority of the court storms haven't had an issue like that. So I think if for the best of both both worlds, if you just had, like, I really am leaning into this timer thing. Give the players and coaches enough time to get off the floor. Nobody gets hurt. And the students can still wait 30 seconds to go onto the floor. What's 30 more seconds? Like, that to me feels like the win-win for both sides. The players don't have to run off the floor, even though a lot of teams are known to do that. They are instructed to do that by their coaches for their own safety to give the Kyle Filipowski's of the world time to slowly waltz over to the sideline and get into the locker room, 30-second timer, and then boom, the, the 
students can rush the floor. It's no different. It's You have to wait 30 seconds. It's not really that big of an issue. It's a win-win for both sides. I just think uh, you said a perfect point about it. The people that are more removed from college, they're the angriest about this. They really are. Because I would say, you know, back in the, the 70s and 80s and 90s, court storms still happened. In fact, there was probably a lot worse chance back then. I mean, if you watch the Christian Leitner documentary, just go listen to the chance that LSU had for him when he when Duke came to play in Baton Rouge. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. Chants are taken away. And if you take away court storming, the college atmosphere loses its power. Of course, there's still going to be full arenas. They're going to be hostile. They're going to be loud. But it's like I just I don't watch college games and get appalled by things that happen, like by things that are quote unquote crossing the line, because I know what to expect. I really do know what to expect. I expect a court storm when KU loses a basketball game. Now, if KU plays at an unranked place, they're going to storm the court. Unless I guess now it's Kansas State who doesn't want to storm the court against Kansas, but it happens. Right, And as Nicholas Timberlake said the other day, we're instructed to get off the floor, to get into the locker room. He doesn't want court storming to go away, but we can obviously acknowledge the fact some modifications need to happen, and it's going to happen. Because even Kyle Filipowski getting a sore knee is going to be maybe the straw that breaks the camel's back. That you look at this situation and go, okay, a player is now going to be battling some form of an injury because of a student. And we could have all avoided that. And I'd also say there's going to be people arguing the point of, well, if Kyle Filipowski got off the floor in time, he wouldn't have been hurt either. So a couple different ways you can break this down. Uh, I do not think it needs to be severe of banning court storming or threatening jail time for students that rush onto the floor. And if Kyle Filipowski plays this weekend or sometime this week, we're going to move on from this. We are going to move on from this. In the same way we moved on from the Caitlin Clark situation at Ohio State. It was like, she got run into, she spun around, a little bit banged up, but she was fine. Right? I just, there's an easier way to fix this, in my opinion. A much easier way to fix this. All right, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, some NFL talk on ESPN Kansas City. We are back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We touched on this a little bit yesterday, not really a segment, just brought up the news of Eric Bieniemy dropping down to the college ranks to become the offensive coordinator for UCLA assistant coach, basically the same role he had in Washington, and he was forced out after one year. Jake, I know your stance on Eric Bieniemy uh, as to why, or I guess the lack of understanding why he doesn't have a job. You know, I think a lot of us in Kansas City go, man, uh, you would think after, what, 2019, the COVID year, it's like this Chiefs offense is pretty good. right? But Biannimi can't land a job. There were guys like Joe Judge that were hired, a special teams coach, uh, to go coach the New York Giants. And it was ugly. There's been a lot of coaches that have failed miserably and Eric Bieniemy just can't get a head coaching job. Even Washington, like, they bring him in as the OC. He's the assistant head coach. And you imagine he's kind of the man to replace Ron Rivera. Like, if Ron Rivera doesn't work out, here comes Eric Bieniemy. And they cleaned house. Dan Quinn comes in. And Dan Quinn's going to bring his people. And that's the way coaching changes happen. Very few coaches stay on board, even if they are good coaches. They don't stay on board with a new coach because they bring in their own guys. They want their people in the building. They don't want the past regime, the losing culture. And so Biennemi did what I think a lot of us ruled out for quite some time. I think I'd entertained the idea I was because I, he got offered, or at least somebody thought before Dion got to Colorado, that Biennemi would go back to be a head coach at Colorado, his alma mater, it would make sense. But remember, Bienemy had a stint in college as the OC for Colorado, and they were terrible. They were really bad. Then he jumps to the NFL, running backs coach, OC, Chiefs take off, and his name becomes a hot commodity. And now I think this almost firmly cements the fact Eric Bienemy will never be a head coach in the NFL. I have a hard time believing it. I think it would have happened by now. There are too many new coaches 
coming in, new OCs, new analysts that are taking jobs over him. And there are so many different reasons, or we've seen so many different reasons in the past as to why he hasn't gotten one, right? The, the One of the arguments is, well, Andy Reid is the play caller, right? Andy Reid's the one that's calling the plays. But the quick rebuttal to that is, well, Matt Nagy got a job, and Matt Nagy was the OC. He got hired in Chicago as the man who was beneath Andy Reid. Andy Reid was calling all the plays, but Matt Nagy got a job. And he coached the Bears of the playoffs, and then he was fired shortly after that. The second argument was, well, he's not hired because he's a black coach. He's not going to be a head coach in the NFL. But then you look at somebody like Houston, right? Houston had a lot of turnover, but they go with D'Amico Ryans. Uh, you know, it's it's one hiring there, of course. It's not an abundance of hirings, and he's being passed over. So that could have some validity that you look around the NFL. There are maybe some. Well, there are three African-American coaches hired this this cycle. This cycle, Ra- yes. Raheem Morris. Yeah, and Raheem then, Morris. And then, and then, I guess you, I don't know if you'd call it hired. Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo. Because, yeah, because of, it was it was a, a little bit different situation in New England. Yeah, like it, he was going to be the guy regardless. I mean, yeah. It wasn't like searching, and then they're right. like, we're going to pick this guy. It was going to be Gerard Mayo. Uh, but I, I look at that and I say, well, now there's more African-American coaches in the NFL, and Biennemi's not one of them. So there isn't the strongest argument anymore. And the third one, which we will never know as media people, is what his interviews are like. Remember there was that talk of he must be a poor interviewer because he's interviewed with like 15 teams and he's never picked as the finalist. And I guess that's a possibility simply because the unknown. We don't. We have no idea if it goes good or poorly. All we have is that he wasn't hired. Right. I mean, he's now had 15 interviews for mm-hmm. head coaching positions in the NFL. 15 of them. And none worked out. It's None. I, I look, I, I think it's a terrible, I don't know. It's, it's an okay move if you're going from an NFL OC to a head coach in college. Mm-hmm. From him to go to a lateral move from an OC yeah. for as many years as he has been in the NFL – to an OC in college, it just, uh, I mean, I, look, man, I, I, I just don't get it. I, it doesn't make sense, but I, I'm, it, it, when I read this over the weekend, it baffled me. I was it like, did, it was almost like kind of the, the waving the white flag, like, it's not going to happen for me. And UCLA's like, hey, you can come be a college, you know, OC here, and then maybe, depending how things go, down the road. But again, I, I think we're tired of saying down the road. He's in his 60s. It's not like he's 40 or 41. If he Maybe if he was 40 or 41, somebody does take a chance on him. And you did mention Nagy, but Doug Peterson before Doug him. Doug Peterson, yeah. Went to Philadelphia after he was the OC here, mm-hmm. not calling plays. And Andy Reid, too, has given so much support. And we know about the Andy Reid coaching tree, right? It's so successful. And Andy Reid constantly is like, that guy's going to be head coach one day. You know, he, he is a great coach. He's helped me so much. And for some reason, he can't get hired. He can't get hired as a head coach in the NFL, and that's why I'm going to put my feet in the ground and say he's never going to be one because there's too many new assistants, new analysts every single year that pop onto the scene. Like, it was, was it that shocking? To me, after a while, it didn't become shocking that Mike Kafka becomes a hotter name in the OC cycle than Biennemi. Like, Kafka goes to the Giants, and it was like, while Biennemi was still in Kansas City, it was like, this Mike Kafka guy is who you want. Well, look at Sirianni. Yeah. I mean, he was the OC for Indianapolis, you mm-hmm. know, from what, like, until he got hired in 21 for the yeah. Eagles? You know, and he was with the Chiefs as a what, wide receivers coach? Yeah, he was a, a units coach, basically. Yeah, wide receivers coach. He was, you know, quality control coach for many. I mean, he was with Kansas City for three or four years at least, 2009 to mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11, and for four years. Yeah. In 12, he's wide receivers coach in 12, offensive quality control coach in 11, assistant quarterback coach in 10. I mean, so it's it's like it's got to be an age thing. Mm-hmm. It's got to I, I don't I don't know. It, it doesn't have to be anything. I'm throwing I'm grasping at straws. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying that you look at the offensive coordinators that have been hired in the mm-hmm. league. I mean, it, that's what's getting hired. Yeah. Up until, you know, this past cycle, it's like who's who's the hot Offensive coordinator, yeah, you know is that it's so it's it's pretty shocking. Um, look, he he made a decision to go to Washington because I think of the stigma. It's all Patrick Mahomes. It's all Andy mm-hmm. Reid. And I mean, 
I, I don't know. It seemed like he did a, a, a pretty adequate job. Yeah. It's like there's not another, I mean, there, there are no other positions that you would rather take in the NFL than, you know, in, in the fear of sitting out, right? I, I, but it seems like to me, like, if you, there was a spot somewhere for you, even if it wasn't you calling plays somewhere or, or you know, on somebody's offensive staff. I even thought he had a chance to return to Kansas City in some I thought, some capacity. I thought for sure he was going to, but I, I guess I don't know if that makes an uncomfortable position for Nagy. I know, it probably that. forces Nagy out unless Bienemy was fine taking a minor role like a assistant offensive coordinator. I don't know. You create some game role, plan, game plan, yeah. game analyst or offensive analyst. I just can't really pinpoint what it can be. We don't have many answers to it. Uh, there's been very few stories done in the past year and a half or so why he can't land a head coaching job. I think his best chance was probably after the 2021 season. Now, it didn't end in a Super Bowl. It was that Bengals loss, and it was that scoreless second half, and then there was that fake story put out that him and Mahomes got into it. But we know how the Chiefs players and their coaches interact. Like, they're they're fiery. And if they did get into it, they've been doing that all year. Like, they butt heads a little bit. It's what grown people do. They can argue. It's not like JV, where you have to respect your coach. It's the end-all, be-all. And I don't want to say respect your coach. You can't argue you can't give your side to it. These are millionaires. These are grown men arguing with grown men who are also millionaires. Like it, You can get into some arguments. You can get in some heated exchanges. And I never read that as, as an issue. Right? Like LaShawn McCoy went on ESPN or whatever show that he appears on. I, I don't remember the name of it. There's a, I think it was before Richard Sherman made the move to, you know, the what, what is it called? First Take? With Skip Bayless, like there were a couple different NFL players on the show, and Lashawn McCoy, bad mouth, enemy. He's like he's not a good coach. You know, he was constantly feuding with guys, and I thought it was like, well, weren't you a healthy scratch? Like I, I see why you were mad. You weren't playing. You were one of the game's best running backs in the early 2010s, but you're a little bit washed up now. So yeah, you may not get along with his style because you're not getting coddled anymore. Some coaches would coddle the star athletes because they knew that's how you had to coach him. Bienemy did not favor anybody. He was the guy that would get upset at practice. He would be yelling, he'd be screaming, he'd be cussing. But there's a lot of coaches that do that. Like not to make a, a similar comparison here, like Nick Saban cusses all the time. He's yelling at players and he wins a lot. Biennemi also won a lot, but he can't get a job. He can't get a head coaching job. And I guess good on him that he is still trying to do this, is still trying to find some sort of loophole where he can be a great offensive coordinator somewhere other than Andy Reid's tree or under Andy Reid's tree or his shadow and prove that he's a head coach because that just – to me, it's not the strongest of arguments because, as Jake brought up, Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy, both got head coaching jobs. And Andy Reid did the same thing that he's done with Biennemi. He praised them. Yeah, this is a guy you really want to work with. He's a guy that deserves a shot. I just don't think it's going to happen anymore. I think now that he has dropped down to the college ranks, it's it's the white flag. It is waving the white flag. And other coaches, that that's... A, also the issue now. Now he is separated from the NFL. So you think about it, whenever the next round of hirings happen, those new coaches are going to bring their guys. They're probably not going to dip into the college level unless UCLA is this elite top 10 in the nation offense, which they got a ways to go. And maybe it'll be fun to see what Biennemi's like again at the college level as an OC. It didn't work out at Colorado, but Colorado was also terrible. Colorado didn't have much to work with. You know, maybe the knock on him in Kansas City was that he was working with elite all-star players and that turned away franchises of, well, we don't have Patrick Mahomes. We don't have Travis Kelsey. We don't have Tyreek Hill. You got to prove to us you can do it with less, which is why maybe Matt Nagy got a job and Peterson got a job because it was Alex Smith and Albert Wilson 
And, you know, Tyree Kill toward the end of it. But before that, it was Jeremy Macklin. And, you know, a couple other guys you could piece together, like an Anthony Fasano at tight end, Sean McGrath. Like, some franchises might have looked at that and said, well, we don't have Patrick Mahomes. We can't be that elite level of an offense. But eventually you think somebody's got to throw him a bone. Hey, we're going to give you a chance. Because I think if somebody hired Biennemi, like, nobody would look at it and say, that's a bad hire. Like, there's been so many coaches that I looked at and said, I don't understand that at all. Like, I keep going back to Joe Judge because it made no sense. A special teams coordinator... As a head coach in a massive market like New York, it made no sense. But it went from, Jake, right, that we looked at Biennemi and said, I hope he doesn't take the New York job or the Washington job because that's a dead-end job. There's not a lot of talent there. It's hard to turn around. You want him to get that leverage point of somebody like this year, Atlanta. You know, Atlanta has some young talent you can build around. Now, Biennemi now is just hoping at some point that door opens back up to the NFL. But I'll leave... uh, I guess everybody here with the thoughts of Jake, does he get another chance or is it over now? I mean, he is 54. Um, I thought he was in his 60s, so yeah, 54, mid-50s, not he, bad. He's 54. Uh, and there were, uh, look, there were four at the beginning of February, there were four office of coordinator positions open, Seattle, uh, New Orleans, um, the Chargers. Um, th- they've all been filled. Um, so I, I guess... That kind of makes sense to go. I mean, you bet on yourself, you know. I I don't know. Uh, only Eric Bieniemy knows what he wants, but I I mean, is he trying to get a head coaching job in college now? That that seems like more of a likely uh, opportunity for him than the NFL. But I I, <laughs> I would think that you'd rather be an offensive coordinator. We who is the the Boston College head coach left? Yes, uh, man. What was his name? He left. He oh, left a yes. head coaching job at, at Boston College to go to be an offensive coordinator in the, in the NFL. So it's like, even now, it's looking like a, a better job is being an offensive coordinator in the NFL than a head coach in college. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It. it I really like Eric Bieniemy. I think you know. Every time I've covered him out at Arrowhead, just awesome guy to be around. Just a yeah. very exciting, excitable guy. So I mean I I look <laughs> he's got a bad rap but it was his decision to leave. Yeah. And so it's like man bad, bad move. Yeah. Bad I, move. You should I mean I I get it like you want to be a head coach you think you're not going to be able but like by leaving Kansas City he took a, a, a he took a leap of faith. He took a leap of faith but it also took a giant step backwards. It mm-hmm. it did not work. That no. le- I mean it, it failed. I mean that that's a failure. Yeah. It was a risk that at the time you're exactly right. He knew he had to take. He had to take if he wanted the head coaching job because Andy Reid wasn't going anywhere, which you talked about yesterday. They're going to be negotiating an extension. Bienemy might have tried to cut a corner instead of just waiting. I think he would have gotten that job in Kansas City if he just stayed throughout. But now it's back to the college ranks for Eric Bienemy. Well, there is Ray Charles. It's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We will not talk to you tomorrow. I'll be at a, a doctor's appointment. We'll be back on Thursday at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City.